0: Hey, you want to talk about a lot of moving parts in the service? Just watch today. We have so many things going on today. We're here to honor our fathers, our graduates, and we want to give our parents an opportunity to dedicate their children. You know, um, the Lord has blessed our church in a way (laughs) that we can almost not even imagine. We have so many young families in our church And we just had a dedication service about six months ago, and I think we had nine or ten children that were dedicated at that time, and we have another nine or so that are going to be dedicated this morning. And so uh, we are so grateful uh, for the folks that make up Grace Life Church. We're so grateful for the heartbeat of these young families who want to raise their, their kids to know Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord. Well, I've always admired the leadership of Joshua. Many of you know the story of Joshua. Under the leadership of Joshua, the walls of Jericho were reduced to rubble. And you remember the story after the Israelites marched around the city walls once for uh, six consecutive days, uh, seven times on the seventh day, and then they blew their trumpets, uh, and then the walls of Jericho came tumbling down. And that story is recorded for us in Joshua chapter 6. And while we remember the role that Joshua played in that amazing story, Joshua is, is perhaps best known for making a very bold and resolute statement that set him apart from the crowd. In verses 1 through 14 of Joshua 24, Joshua reminds the Israelites of the many great things that God had done for them. And because of what God had done for them, Joshua implores his fellow Israelites to dedicate both themselves and their families to his service. And then Joshua utters these now famous words when he said in verse 15 of Joshua chapter 24, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. In George Whitfield's commentary on Joshua's declaration, he said this, He said this commendable resolution of Joshua is absolutely necessary for every true son of Joshua that is entrusted with the care and direction of a family in our day. And if it was ever appropriate for ministers to preach or for people to put family religion into practice, it is never more so than in the present age, since it is greatly to be feared that out of those many households that call themselves Christians, there are only a few. Sadly, there are only a few that serve God in their respective families as they should. And I think that Whitfield is right. It seems today that many Christian parents really crack the whip as it relates to their children's education. They, they teach their children discipline about setting aside time to study and emphasize the importance of learning. And while all that is good, it seems that many of these same parents are really just winging it as it relates to their children's spiritual condition they don't teach the same discipline to their kids to read and study their bibles or to pray many christian parents really emphasize to their children the need to practice their sport or their instrument but they never mention the need for their kids to grow in their spiritual life Many Christian parents will actually enroll their children in a preschool or a special class of some kind so that they're well-adjusted socially, but they really just leave it to chance that their kids will develop spiritually. And so I think you get the point. And I agree with Whitfield that there are a rare few that can say with Joshua, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. But, But the parents standing before us today want to echo the words of Joshua and publicly state that it is their desire to bring their children up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. And as a church, we commend them and respect them and we stand with them as they desire to honor Christ with their lives. And so at this time, I would like for our parents to come up and to introduce themselves, to introduce their child that they'll be dedicating today and then we'll ask you to come through and circle back around, and we'll finish up the ceremony this morning. Aaron? Good morning. We're uh, Aaron and Amanda Burkholder, and we're dedicating our daughter, Molly. Good morning, we're Zach and Kayla Herzog, and we're dedicating Elena May. We are Elijah and Asu Van Hanks-Laden, and we're dedicating our daughters, Maisie and Lydia. Morning. We're Josh and Chelsea Colco. We're dedicating VR Grace. We're Brett and Nikki Satizen, and we're dedicating Vody. Josh and Zyla Berry dedicating Grace. We are Eric and Sarah Moyer, and we're dedicating Cassidy. Seth and Jennifer, and we're dedicating Easton. But well, we almost don't have the space up here to accommodate everyone. Uh, what a crew, huh? Most of us remember uh, the story of Hannah and her son Samuel that's recorded for us in 1 Samuel chapter 1. And in that chapter, we learn of Hannah making a vow before the Lord that if he would give her a son, she would raise him to, for his honor and glory. And God did indeed give her a son, and she fulfilled her promise to God. And here's what she said in 1 Samuel chapter 1 verses 26 through 28. She said, as surely as you live, my Lord, I am the woman who stood here beside you praying to the Lord, and I prayed for this child, and the Lord has granted me what I ask of him. And so now I give him to the Lord, for his whole life he will be given over to the Lord. So this morning, as we begin our worship service, we want to give these families an opportunity to do the same thing as Hannah and dedicate their children to the Lord. And and in many ways, this is more of a dedication of the parents who are dedicating themselves to God that they will raise their kids to know Jesus Christ as their Savior and Lord. And the reason why we do this as a church is not only to allow the parents of these precious children to publicly uh, desire to raise their children for Christ, but to hold Uh, themselves accountable to the church and so we want to give them this opportunity this morning and so I want to address the parents and then I'd like to address the church so parents as you stand before us this morning is it your desire to dedicate your child to the Lord to strive to model before your child the love of God and to raise them to know Jesus Christ as their savior and then church if you would let's stand in support of these parents let me, let me ask the church a similar question and we're going through a series on the church and we've been working through this this is our fourth week it's a comprehensive series on the church the church is a vital part of all of our lives and so as the church I want to ask a similar question Is it your desire as the church to help these parents to be faithful to God and to help teach and train their children in the ways of the Lord so that they might one day trust Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord? Is that our heart's desire this morning? Well, I'm going to pray, and then we're going to take a quick group picture of all of the parents and their children over here on the side. And then we'll have our Scripture reading and prayer this morning. Let's pray. Our Father, what a special, special occasion. What a special time it is. What a great day to set aside to allow these precious parents to bring their children, their, their gift from You before us today and to say that we want to raise our child to know Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord. It's no small task To be a parent indeed it is a daunting task that you have given to us and yet these parents stand with joshua and they say that as for me and my house we desire to serve the lord so lord as a church we want to come alongside of them and to help them and to be an encouragement to them to assist them in their desire to raise their children to know you So we thank you and praise you for a special time this morning to set aside for that very fact. And we do this in the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. You can be seated. We're going to take a quick picture, and then Pastor Flip will come and read Scripture and pray. All right, let's take our Bibles and turn to Galatians chapter 4 wasn't sure how it was all going to work out today, but I think everybody did well. Uh, it's so neat to be able to have so many moving parts in a church. It shows the vibrancy of our local church, so many folks that um, are involved in so many different things. And so congratulations to our graduates. Happy Father's Day to all of our fathers. And also congratulations to those who dedicated their children this morning. Galatians chapter 4, we'll eventually get there. If you've been with us these uh, past few weeks, you know that we have been working our way through a comprehensive 10-week summer sermon series on the church, and in particular the local church and its vital role in the life of every New Testament believer in Jesus Christ. And we began our series by examining the church's master, and this is where we must always begin with Jesus. The Scriptures tell us that Jesus purchased the church with his own blood, and therefore he is the Lord of the church, the master of the church. And so he sets the rules, and we as his people are to be obedient to his commands. And those commands are carried out through the local church. God has given us his revelation. He has given us the epistles, the letters written to the church, so that we may know how to do church, how to live in the church age. In our second week, we looked at the church's makeup. In other words, what makes up a local church? And we found that there are at least four essential components of a local church. First, a local church is comprised of believers in Jesus Christ. Second, a local church practices the ordinances of the Lord's Supper and water baptism, Third, a local church is led by biblically qualified male elders who faithfully preach and teach the Word of God, and they rely on the Bible as their source book for faith and practice. And then fourth, a local church doesn't wink at sin. A true local church confronts unrepentant sin and loves people enough to not only confront sin, but is willing to separate from those who refuse to repent of their sin. Last week, Pastor Flip walked us through the church's mission, which is really threefold if you look at the totality of Scripture, to exalt the Savior, to edify the saints, and to evangelize the lost. Well, this morning, as we continue to lay out God's detailed design for the church, we want to consider the church's management. In other words, who is responsible to God for carrying out his commands as it relates to the management of the local church. When we think of management, we think of a number of things. First, we think of delegated responsibility, right? When I was originally hired by the Illinois Department of Agriculture way back in 1988, I was the assistant to the director of agriculture. He was the head of the agency appointed by the governor of the state of Illinois. And what he said went... But he would delegate to me so many things. I would give speeches for him. I would write correspondence for him. I would attend meetings on his behalf. I would sit on various task forces for him. I would lead projects for him. All delegated management responsibilities, but I was always accountable to him. And so, a manager is responsible for making sure that the wishes and desires of the owner are carried out. And so, biblically speaking, a manager is a steward. Key word this morning steward. We want to drill down a little bit on this biblical word here throughout our message. The very first verse in the Bible really sets the tone for the rest of God's revelation to man. Moses, who is the author of the first five books of the Bible, begins by saying this. It's no mistake that he begins this way in Scripture. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And so as the Creator, God has absolute rights of ownership over all things. And so for us to even begin to grasp the idea of management or stewardship over the church... We have to start there. It is His church. The biblical doctrine of stewardship is really at the heart of of man's responsibility to God. God is the owner, and we are His managers. And if we think about it, God is the great delegator. As the owner of all things, He delegates to man the administration of His desires. And that's what the Apostle Paul referred to when he said in 1 Corinthians chapter 3 and verse 9, for we are God's fellow workers. You are God's field, God's building. So I want us to think about this this morning. Stewardship. Stewardship is at the heart of God's defined purpose for our lives. For example, since God is the owner of all things, we need to realize that every material possession that we have is His. Do you ever even think about it? Kathy and I are thinking about moving at some point. We're the only two left in our house. Four bedrooms, family room, living room, full basement. We don't need all the space. And so we're thinking about moving and we'd like to downsize and get a smaller home. But I was thinking this past week, God has given that home to us and we've lived there for over 11 years. He has allowed us to be stewards of that home for 11 years. And so how have we used it? How have we used it for His glory? Well, we raised a family in the home, and so we did that. But we've also had hundreds of different people in our home to fellowship with and to minister to. And so I want us to begin to think of stewardship in that way. God is the owner of all that we have. But the car that you parked in the parking lot today, He owns that. He has just allowed you to be a steward of what He owns. He is the creator of all things, and He owns all things. And He's sovereign over all things. So this is what I want us to consider today. We are just managers... Who will be held accountable to the owner but we're not just stewards or managers of physical things we're managers of the time that we've been given the apostle paul instructed that believers are to redeem the time in other words we're to be stewards of the time that we've been given because the days are evil i'm not getting any younger um uh, I've been reminded that here soon I will turn 60, and to some of you, you would say, ah, you're still just a kid. But to others, you'd go, wow, Pastor Dave's getting up there. (laughs) 60. I remember when I turned 50 and things started changing. And now I'm going to turn 60. And so I only have so much time left. As you sit here today, we only have so much time left And so we are stewards of the time that God has given to us. And so what kind of stewards are we going to be of our time, of our possessions? But you know, God has also delegated to us stewardship of spiritual things, including the dissemination of his gospel. This is what we considered last week as we examined the Great Commission. Jesus said in Matthew 28, 19, and 20, "'Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age.'" You know, the Apostle Paul spoke a lot about stewardship. He spoke more of it as it related to the Gospel in Romans chapter 10, When he said, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of Christ, how will they hear without a preacher? Literally, how will they hear without someone telling them? How did we hear the gospel of Jesus Christ? Someone was faithful, stewarded their time to tell us of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Faith comes by hearing. And hearing by the Word of Christ. How will they hear without someone telling them? Paul says that we are the Lord's ambassadors, and we're literally to beg people to be reconciled to God. But the reminder is it's His gospel. It's His gospel. And when we give the gospel to someone, we always begin with who He is. God is holy and righteous and perfect in all of His ways. And we, unfortunately, are not. The Bible says that we are sinners for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. All of us have fallen short of God's standard of righteousness, which is perfection. And because we have sinned, we have now become alienated from the holy, righteous God of the universe. Man, that's a pretty bleak situation because the wages of sin is death, spiritual death, hell, a literal place, a fiery place called hell. That's what we deserve as sinners. And yet the Bible says that God demonstrated his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whoever believes on Him will not perish, but they'll have everlasting life. This is the God that we serve, and this is the God that we're here to celebrate today. A God that loves us, even though we're sinners. And because of His great love, He's provided a way of salvation for everyone who will believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus came to the earth, And he lived some 30, 33 years on the earth. Perfection. The only one who ever lived a perfect life. And he qualified himself to go to the cross as the sacrificial lamb of God, the perfect substitute to die in our place. And he took the sins of all who would believe upon him on himself. And he was treated like we should have been treated. But God loved us so much that Jesus came to do what we could not do for ourselves. So He died a cruel death on the cross of Calvary to pay the payment that we deserved to pay. And then they put Him in a tomb. But the grave couldn't hold Him. He was there for short of three days. And He resurrected from the grave. And now, He is in heaven, seated at the right hand of the Father. And at the same time, He's preparing this wonderful, glorious place for all who will trust in Him. And so I ask you the question this morning as we are trying to be faithful stewards of the Gospel today. Have you trusted in Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of sin? It's freely offered for all, and we give it to all. God did something that we did not deserve. He gave us Jesus Christ. And so we, as the church, are to be His ambassadors, to beg people to be reconciled to God. But, as I said, it's His gospel. He's the owner of all things and the provider of all things. The question is, what kind of stewards are we in the New Testament, we find two Greek words that describe the idea of stewardship or management. The first word is epitropos, and it means manager, foreman, guardian, or steward. It's used three times in the New Testament, and as it relates to civic government, it means governor or procurator. The second Greek word is oikonomos, and it also means steward, manager, or administrator. And this word oikonimos occurs 10 times in the New Testament. And so depending upon the context, it can also be translated dispensation, stewardship, management, arrangement, administration, order, plan, or training. Now I've asked you to turn to Galatians chapter 4 because both of these Greek words are used in the same sentence here in Galatians chapter 4. And so I'm going to read to you verses 1 and 2. And then I'll point out their usage here by the Apostle Paul as he writes to the churches at Galatia. He says, now I say, as long as the heir is a child, he does not differ at all from a slave, although he will eventually possess the whole estate, but he is under guardians. That's Epitropos. He's under guardians and managers, oikonomos until the date set by the Father. What is Paul talking about there? Well, he's speaking here of a young child coming of age, and he's using it as an example of a person's life before and after his or her salvation. And so it was customary for parents, especially wealthy parents, to delegate the responsibility to physically care for the children to guardians. And in the same way, parents would delegate responsibility to care for the children's future inheritance to managers. And so using the same kind of language, Paul says in 1 Corinthians 9.17 and Ephesians 3.2 that as a minister, he was a steward or a manager of the gospel and the divine mystery which is revealed in Christ. And so understanding this morning, understanding that we're not owners but stewards of what God owns, this is really at the heart of our understanding of the Christian life. God entrusts many things to us, but the question is, as we have already asked, are we being good stewards of what God has entrusted to us? And so in essence, stewardship expresses our total obedience and submission to the Lord. James 4, 7 says, Submit therefore to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. And so in this light, God has delegated stewardship or management in many important avenues of life. And so if you're taking notes this morning, I want to give you five examples of biblical stewardship, or maybe we can say it this way, five examples of God's delegation to stewards. Now remember, a steward is not an owner. He or she is only a manager who is responsible to the owner. And so the first example that we see here in Scripture is the Lord's delegation to governing authorities. And we as citizens are to submit to God by submitting to our governing authorities. Unless, of course, they would ask us to sin, and then we always obey God rather than man but Romans 13, 1 is pretty clear about this as it relates to submission or subjection. Paul says, every person, every person is to be subject to the governing authorities for there is no authority, get this, there is no authority except from God and those which exist are established by God. Paul? Peter says the same thing in 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 13 he says submit yourselves for the lord's sake to every human institution whether to a king as the one in authority and so we as citizens are to submit to our governing authorities but they will give an account to god who according to daniel chapter 2 and verse 21 sovereignly places them in their positions the second example is the Lord's delegation to employers. Employers. And as employees, we're to submit ourselves to our employers. And again, employers will give an account to the Lord. And so you're going to see a pattern here as we begin to go through these examples. 1 Peter chapter 2, and verse 18, Servants, be subject to your masters with all respect, not only to those who are good and gentle, but also to those who are harsh. In Ephesians 6, 5, Paul speaks to the motivation of our submission, and he says, Slaves, be obedient to those who are your masters according to the flesh, with fear and trembling in the sincerity of your heart as to Christ. And so our submission to our employer is as to Christ. So you you see the consistency here of Scripture. The third example is the Lord's delegation to parents. And in turn, children are to submit to and obey their parents' management over their lives. Today is Father's Day. When it was Mother's Day, we talked about how hard it is to be a mom. Probably one of the most hardest jobs on the planet, to be a mother. But, but that's not to minimize the role of the father. Being a father is, is, is on the same level as being a mom. It's a tough job tough job Ephesians chapter 6 verses 1 through 4 instructs children to honor and obey their parents but Paul also speaks there of how a father is to lead his children he's not to provoke his children to anger but he's to bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord you see a father is just a steward a mother is just a steward A father is to lead his children. And so as we think about Father's Day and the immense responsibility that fathers have to stand before God one day as to how they have led their family, let's think about it in the idea of stewardship. God has entrusted to you children to act on His behalf. And so he has given instructions to us as fathers as to how to do that. And we will be held accountable for how faithful we are to what he has given to us. So we are stewards. So the third example is the Lord's delegation to parents. The fourth example is the Lord's delegation to husbands, To love their wives as Jesus loved his church, which we just spoke about, and gave himself up for her. And wives, in turn, are to submit to their husband's leadership in the home in obedience to the Lord. And that's what Ephesians 5.22 says. That's what submission is. It presupposes that the wife and the husband are not always going to agree on things. And so in our home, Kathy and I talk about just about everything. Anything and everything. We have co-parented our children from the time that they were born. And we've agreed on most things. 99.9% of things were on the same exact page. And when we eventually differ on something, after we talk about that and try to work that out, if we are still at an impasse, she has given me the gift of submission knowing that I'm going to be held responsible for making the ultimate decision in this particular instance. It's a daunting task to be a parent, to be a husband, because wives are to submit to their husband's leadership in the home as obedience to the Lord That submission, Paul says, is as to the Lord. Why are wives to be in subjection or submission to their husband? Because someone's got to provide leadership in the home, right? But it's as to the Lord. It's not because their husband is this wonderful, perfect guy. If you're a wonderful, perfect guy, please stand. And as soon as you start to inch up, your wife is going to push you back down because she knows you're not perfect. And you yourself should know you're not perfect in all things. And so God in his wisdom has given us wives to help to balance us and to help us to lead our families. Paul said it this way in Colossians 3.18, wives, be subject to your husbands as is fitting to the Lord. And Peter goes a step further when he said in 1 Peter 3.1, in the same way you wives be subject to your own husbands, so that even if any of them are disobedient to the word, follow me, they may be won over without a word by the behavior of their wives. And so fathers and husbands will stand before the Lord and give an account for how they have led on the Lord's behalf in their homes And wives will stand and give an account as to how they have followed their husband's leadership. So that brings us to the fifth example, and it's the Lord's delegation to elders to lead and guide and to shepherd the local church as those who will give an account. And just as in every other example that I just mentioned, those in the church are to joyfully submit to their elders' leadership. Because this is such a a daunting task. And let me just say, as someone who's been in ministry for some 30 years, it's an increasingly daunting task. But I want to spend some time drilling down on five ways that elders are to manage the church. And I want to do that by giving you five Ps, five easy-to-remember P words. And the first P word is provide. So number one is by providing leadership. Without leadership, there is no direction or intentionality or accountability. God, in his wisdom and providence, gave shepherds to lead the sheep. And the Lord has delegated the leadership of every true local church to imperfect but biblically qualified men. And these qualifications are enumerated in 1 Timothy chapter 3 and Titus chapter 1. And just like all the other instances that the Lord has delegated responsibility, we are to submit to our elders because that's God's command. We do it as to the Lord. And as we said earlier in our series, Jesus is the the chief shepherd, right? And he's delegated the governance of every local church to under-shepherds who are responsible to him and to each other. And the writer of Hebrews says that very specifically in chapter 13 and verse 17, that elders are to provide leadership and they'll give an account to God for how they do that. I want us to think about this for a moment this morning as we're working our way through these things. When I say that we're going to give an account to God, we're going to give an account to God. You know, at the Bema seat, the judgment seat of Christ, every believer in Jesus Christ will stand before Jesus Christ, our Savior and Lord, and give an account for how we've lived our lives for Him. How we have stewarded what it is that God has given to us. And while I am excited to see Jesus, while I am anxiously awaiting the day that Jesus comes and he takes his church to be with him in glory, I know and you know (laughs) that that will kickstart the clock as to when we will stand before Jesus Christ, our Lord, our master, as his slave, as his servant, as his steward I don't suspect we'll be on our feet long I think the moment we see Jesus and we stand before him we will fall down on our knees before him he is our Lord and we will give an account for how we have lived our lives for him elders will give an account for how they lead and guide and shepherd the church of God obey your leaders the writer of Hebrews says and submit to them and then what does he say for they keep watch over your souls as those who will give an account so that they may do this with joy and not with grief for this would be unprofitable for you 1 Peter 5, 2 says, shepherd the flock of God among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but voluntarily, according to the will of God. The will of God is our standard, not with greed, but with eagerness. Acts chapter 20, verse 28, be on guard for yourselves and for all the flock among which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to shepherd the church of God, which he purchased with his own blood. So the first way that elders are to manage the church is by providing leadership. God has given oversight of the church to shepherds, and those shepherds, those pastors, those elders will give an account to God as to how they have stewarded the church. The second P is prove. So number two, by proving to be an example. So let's talk about leadership for a moment. A good leader is authentic. A good leader is transparent. A good leader is approachable and available to the flock. He's not a hypocrite, but he serves as an example. And when we think of being an example, we're not thinking of a perfect example, right? Only the Lord is perfect, but a consistent example, an impactful example. Eldership is not just administration it's relational an elder is to be a reliable source of wisdom and strength to the flock a big part of being an example is how a man handles situations both good and bad and when he messes up himself which he is going to do he serves as an example as to how to make things right with God and others but he proves to be an example This is what Peter said in 1 Peter 5 and verse 3, proving to be an example to the flock. Hebrews 13, 7. Remember those who led you, who spoke the word of God to you, and considering the result of their way of life, imitate their faith. Imitate their faith. When my father died of liver cancer back in 2017, Coming up on six years, hard to believe. Many of you have lost loved ones over the years. I lost my mom in 1991, my dad in 2017. While he was dying, I watched him like a hawk. I examined every part of who my dad is during his physical decline. He had lived a faithful life, not a perfect life. I saw my dad every day. I know he wasn't a perfect guy in any way, shape, or form, but he lived a faithful life. But he was so very faithful in death. He taught me much about how to live, but he really taught me how to die. I remember being by his bedside. And oftentimes when people are dying and they're in hospice care, they've taken all of the preventatives out of play and they're just managing the person's pain until they die. So they're shepherding them to death. And there's a drug that they give for many people on hospice. And if you had a loved one on hospice, you know, you've probably heard of it. It's called Ativan. And Ativan, in certain doses makes a person sleep. And my dad was sleeping all the time. <laughs> all of our family had come from all over the country to be by his side and he is just sleeping. He can't help it. He's on these high doses of Ativan to keep his anxiety down. And I went to the doctor, I went to the nurses and I said, "Can I request something?" And they said, "Well, what's up?" And I said, "Take him off the Ativan." Well, no, people that are on hospice care, they're on Ativan. I mean, that keeps them calm. He, He doesn't need it, I said. I've watched him. I've talked to him. He wants to be with his family right now. He doesn't want to sleep in his final hours of his life. He wants to see the people that he loves. He wants to see the people that love him. And so when I look at people who have served as... Examples in my life. It's not just the high profile people. It's not just people like my dad or my mom or pastors or elders. It's people like you. Many of you have served as a tremendous example to me. And one day I'm going to talk about that. And I'm going to talk about how much of an impact so many of you have had on my life but the second way that elders are to manage the church is by proving to be an example so we think about that as it relates to our own lives are we being an example that other people can follow the third p is preach and obviously you knew that i would get here number three by preaching the word the Lord entrusts pastors and elders to preach his word. The, the anchor of the elders' ministry is the word of God. It's not our own thoughts or opinions, it's the word of God. So, what does, the, what does Paul tell Pastor Timothy, who's pastoring at the church at Ephesus? He says in his second letter to Timothy, chapter 4, verses 2 through 5, he says, Preach the word. Be ready, in season, and out of season. And listen to these three directives. Correct, rebuke, and exhort with great patience and instruction. By the way, notice that these three words are all toe-steppers. Right? He he doesn't say preach the word. Preach something that is going to make everyone feel really good about themselves. So they can leave and be on their tippy-toes as they walk out the door with a huge smile on their face. Sometimes there's reason for that. But he says, correct. We need correction. Rebuke. We need rebuke. Exhort. We need exhortation directly to us from God's Word. For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine. But wanting to have their ears tickled, they will accumulate for themselves teachers in accordance with their own desires. And boy, do we see that today. And they'll turn their ears away from the truth and they'll turn aside to myths. But you, Timothy, be sober in all things, endure hardship, do the work of an evangelist and fulfill your ministry. And so, elders will be held accountable for not only their obedience to the Word of God, but to their careful handling of the Word of God. The Bible is not only inspired by God and inerrant and authoritative; it is fully sufficient. Second Peter chapter one and verse three: God has given us everything that we need. For life and, godliness. and so why in the world would people who name the name of Christ be looking for truth outside of the Word of God? If we've been given everything we need for life and godliness, in other words, we've been given everything we need to know how to live our lives for God in this life. From the Bible, God's completed revelation to man. Why are we continually looking for all these other things? We have God's completed Word. Have we exhausted this? No. <laughs> we haven't so the bible is sufficient the fourth p is protect so number four by protecting from danger so shepherds feed the sheep they care for the needs of the sheep they guide the sheep but they also protect the sheep we live in a very spiritually dangerous world the church has become very secularized Many today view the church as just another organization. It's not. It's not. It's a living organism formed by God. Big difference. Titus 1 9 says, holding firmly the faithful word, which is in accordance with the teaching, so that he, meaning the pastor elder, will be able to both exhort in sound doctrine and to refute those who contradict. And so we may stand before you and we have stood before you and we have said whatever this new book is that's out on the market that millions of people are being sucked into reading, it is not from God. It is not true. (laughs) It's not true. We must be able to know God's Word well enough to spot a fake. And that's the role of the pastor elder to protect the sheep from danger. But shepherds are not only to protect the sheep, but they're to love the sheep, and they're to love them enough to discipline them when there's unrepentant sin in their lives. Why? Because wayward sheep are being disobedient to the chief shepherd, and they can influence other sheep to be wayward. So Paul uses the illustration of bread in 1 Corinthians chapter 5, 6 through 11. He says this, "Do you not know that a little little leaven leavens the whole lump of dough. Clean out the old leaven so that you may have a new lump, just as you are in fact unleavened. For Christ our Passover also has been sacrificed. Therefore let us celebrate the feast, not with old leaven, nor with the leaven of malice and wickedness, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. I wrote you in my letter not to associate with immoral people, I did not at all mean with the immoral people of this world or with the covetous and swindlers or the idolaters, for then we would have to go out of the world. But actually, he says, I wrote to you not to associate with any so-called brother, if he is an immoral person, or covetous or an idolater or a reviler or a drunkard or a swindler, not even to eat with such a one. So after being confronted on their sin and that confrontation is met with a refusal to repent, the erring sheep is removed from the other sheep until such a time as they repent. This is what Matthew eighteen seventeen says, and if he refuses to listen to them after he has been confronted on his sin, you tell it to the church. And if he refuses to listen even to the church, he is to be to you as a Gentile and a tax collector. And then the fifth P is promote, so number five, by promoting Christ and pointing others to Christ. So turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 1 through 5, and that's the passage that Pastor Flip read for us earlier. And I just want to bring all of this together because I think what we have here in this letter that Paul writes to the church at Corinth I think what we have here is sort of the crescendo or the application of all that we've shared as it relates to this idea of stewardship. That we're not owners, but we're stewards. And God has given us a stewardship over the material possessions that we have. He's given us a stewardship over time. He's given us a stewardship of the gospel of Jesus Christ. The fifth P, the fifth way that an elder is to use his stewardship in the church is by promoting Christ and pointing others to Christ. So 1 Corinthians chapter 4 verses 1 through 5 says, "Let a man regard us in this manner as stewards or servants of Christ and stewards oikonomos that's the word we looked at earlier of the mysteries of God." In this case, moreover, it is required of stewards, oikonomos, that one be found trustworthy or faithful. But but to me, it's a very small thing that I may be examined by you or by any human court. In fact, I don't even examine myself, Paul said. For I am conscious of nothing against myself, yet I am not by this acquitted. But the one who examines me is the Lord, Therefore, do not go on passing judgment before the time, but wait until the Lord comes, who will both bring to light the things hidden in the darkness and disclose the motives of men's hearts, and then each man's praise will come to him from God. Again, God will be the final arbiter of all things. And so a servant puts others before themselves. God will hold us accountable for our faithfulness, he says. In this case, moreover, it is required of stewards, oikonomos, that one be found trustworthy or faithful. And so we begin to think about this responsibility that we have in the Christian life. As stewards, I like the quote by J.C. Ryle, by the way, the notable British pastor and author, he said this, it's no real honor to be thought well by everyone. It's no real honor to be thought well by everyone. Paul said, it's a small thing to be examined by men, but it's a big thing to be examined by God. We never try to read into the motives of others, Paul says. But we wait. We wait until the Lord comes and He will disclose it all. We're stewards. Managers. Our job is to be trustworthy. Colossians 1.17 reminds us that the Lord is the Creator and sustainer of all things, which means that he's the owner of all things, but let's make no mistake, he is the ultimate manager. He's the ultimate manager, but in his design, he delegates his management to specific people in this life, and we went through many of those this morning, and we as his people need to be good with that, because he knows what is best for us. I think the first issue that the Lord is going to talk with us about after we have fallen on our knees before Christ, I think he's going to talk to us about how faithful we've been. What has been our priorities in this life? He might even ask us, "Hey Dave, what 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 do you think your priorities have been in this life?" He already knows. He already knows the answer to that. He knows all of us better than we know ourselves. What's been your priority, Dave? Yeah, I know you serve me in ministry. But have you been faithful in that? I know that when some of us stand before the Lord, He's going to say, you... I've entrusted to you these children. What kind of a father were you? What kind of a mother were you? And on and on the questions may go. So, I think it's good for us to ask ourselves now these questions because we're going to answer them when we stand before Jesus. And some of us need to change. Some of us need to change what we're doing. Some of us need to redirect our priorities. Some of us need to... Be more faithful. Some of us need to show our faithfulness to our families and to our workplace and all of these other avenues of life. It's always good for us to be introspective, to look at our own lives, to even examine, Paul says, to see if we're in the faith. Examine yourselves to see if you're in the faith. Are you being obedient to the commands of God? If you love me, Jesus said, you will keep my commandments. Stewards. Managers. Not owners. And so I think as we think about that more in our lives, it'll help give us the perspective that we need. Like we are lent things by God. We've been lent time possessions our families our church and on we can go how good a care have we taken of the things that he has lent to us let's pray our father as stewards and managers we we think about the blessings that you have given to us i mean innumerable blessings the old hymn says count your blessings name them one by one we would be here all day just naming the blessings that you have given to us. The question isn't that you have given us blessings. We know that you've given us blessings. You've rescued us from what we deserve because of Jesus Christ. But the question today is really asking ourselves, have we been good good stewards of those different blessings that you have given to us? And so I pray that each of us would think inward today about those things, and that we would desire to walk with You in a way that would be pleasing to You. As our chief priority in life, we thank You for Jesus. We thank You for the gift of salvation. We thank You for loving us so much that You sent Jesus Christ, our Savior and Lord, to come and to die in our place. And it's in His name we pray this morning. Amen.